so last year didn't turn out as you hoped. Things took a turn. A bump. A darkened sky. And at times it may have seemed there was no hope. But here's the good news. Our God is the God of fresh starts. Our God is the God of new beginnings. Our God brings new mercies, new compassions, not just once a year, not just when things are bad, but every single morning. This year has been tough. For many of us, things will never be the same. But we are here, breathing, maybe smiling, or crying, or shouting. So today is the last Sunday of 2019. Can you believe that already? How has your year been? For some, you'd say, man, this has been one of the best years of my life. But even if it has been a really good year for you, that might be, Mike might be a little hot up there, James, feeding back. There we go. Even if it has been the best year for you, my guess is it's also been marked with some trouble and with some pain and with some hardship. Even the best of years are, are filled with some of those things. Well, uh, today, I think it's good for us as we wrap up 2019, just to, uh, to look back and to consider some things. And uh, my year was rough yesterday and somebody just made it worse, put a little <laughs> fighting Irish guy up here in the pulpit. Right there? Yeah, I thought so. Like that, yeah. Man, that was a rough, thanks for bringing that back. <laughs> but maybe 2019 has been rough for you too, in different ways. And um, we're going to look at Psalm 65 today. And Psalm 65 points our attention uh, to the fact that God is the one who gives us all good things. And, and ultimately, uh, even in the midst of, of hard times, praise is due to him. Do you know, uh, I'm going to read the Psalm and then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to just kind of unpack it together and look at God's goodness to us as a church and hopefully.
for you to think of the ways God's been good to you individually. And, um, but you know, I think it's curious that before I even read this, that the preceding, it's either 14 or 15 Psalms right before this are all Psalms of lament. They're all Psalms of, of uh, just hardship and pain and complaining and crying out to God and why this and why me and why now? And then look at the first line after all of that complaining of Psalm 65. Praises do you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty and your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in him and through him, we have hope and uh, we have joy and that you've given us all good things. Holy Spirit, I pray today as we uh, take time to look at your word and even uh, to look back at our year and look forward to the coming year, um, would you guide our thoughts and our mind and our hearts uh, uh, toward Jesus, toward the giver of all these good things? Because as we just read, praise truly, Lord, is due you. And so as we've sung of your greatness this morning and now as we look at it in the text uh, might you be made much of, Jesus. We pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. I pray uh, instead, Holy Spirit, that you would work mightily in our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Well, Psalm 65, uh, at the very beginning, you notice it says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Did you know the Psalms are, are they're all songs that were sung by God's people. They were written together and they were sung for different occasions. And uh, really Psalm 65 in many ways is a Psalm of Thanksgiving. And it was a, it was a harvest hymn, in fact, uh, that, would have, that was oft, often sung once the crops were all gathered in. 
I grew up in a small town in Iowa. I went to a church uh, that was out in the country, kind of like this, surrounded by cornfields on all sides. And uh, every year around Thanksgiving, one of the hymns we would sing was, Come Ye Thankful People, Come. Anybody ever sing that growing up? We sung it here every now and then. Um, but, but that was like a song of a heart. It was a harvest hymn of thanking God for his blessing. That's what this psalm is. And it was sung at the, towards the end of the year, around the Feast of Tabernacles, likely. And uh, it, it was sung thanking God for what he had done. And it begins, David begins it by saying, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Now he says in Zion because that's where the tabernacles would have been. That's where everybody gathered to worship. And so they, they likely sang this throughout the year, but for sure at this time. And so he says, praise is due you in Zion. As we gather together, praise is due to you. Friends, uh, we're going to look at this this morning. And the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus deserves praise. In the good times, in the bad times, and in everything in between, Jesus deserves praise. In, in fact, uh, he is worthy of praise. By the way, the, the psalm says, uh, praises do you, O God. So why, why, Josh, do you say Jesus deserves praise? Well, Jesus is God. He's fully God, entirely God. And in a culture in which uh, there's many gods that are worshiped, I just think it's good for us to name specifically our God in Jesus Christ, the Son. And so Jesus deserves praise praise. He, he's worthy. Did you know that? He is worthy. He alone is worthy of praise. He, he's God almighty. In fact, when you get to Revelation, you get to the end of the Bible and you get a picture of how all of this is going to wrap up in the end. There's a handful of times. I just listed a couple here in Revelation four. Uh, they're, they're singing to Jesus around the throne. They're saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, speaking to Jesus to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In Revelation 5, 9, he's worthy. They sang a new song saying, worthy, Jesus, are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this psalm begins by saying, praise is due to you, God. Praise is due. You, you, you deserve it. You're worthy of it, Jesus. And the rest of the psalm unpacks him getting praise. But it begins with that line that he's worthy of it. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you agree? God is worthy of our praise. He's due our praise. We, we, we owe it to him. And in fact, we're going to see he gets praise from everyone and everything. Even those who would deny him now, one day will bring praise and glory to Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians, one day every knee will bow. Every knee. Every knee will bow. Therefore, God's highly exalted him, bestowed on Jesus the name that's above every name, so that at his name every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Everyone and everything. This psalm uh, is really a psalm that, that depicts the beauty of God's creation and God's nature. Maybe some images came to your mind even as we read it. And you, you see God's goodness in creating everything and how everything ultimately being, brings praise and glory to Jesus. In fact, as we just read, he's the one who created everything. So let's just get our mind around that to start, right? I think that's a good intro. Jesus deserves praise. Praise. 
And so what does he deserve praise for? Well, the psalmist lays out many things. We'll focus on a couple. First off, he deserves praise for his grace. Look with me at verses, uh, we're going to start in verse 2 and just kind of work our way through here. In verse 2, the psalmist writes, he says, David writes, he says, uh, Oh, you who hear prayer, you who hear prayer. Do you know God hears your prayers? Prayers when uh, you thank him for his gifts and his blessings and prayers when uh, you complain and are angry with him. Maybe even prayers where in your sinfulness, we all have this and maybe have had times like this where we even uh, curse him and blame him for things wrongly. He hears your prayers. He knows the emotion. He knows all of those things going on in your spirit behind it. He knows the whole story. In Exodus 2, when uh, we, we quoted this a couple of weeks ago, uh, when uh, God's people are in Egypt, right, and they're suffering under Pharaoh, it says at the end of chapter 2 that God saw and God knew. He heard their cry. He knew their pain. Listen, he hears your prayers. Peter writes this. He says that you should cast how many of your anxieties on him? Do you know that verse? All, yeah. Guess what all means in Greek? All. It means like every single one. So like, like the tiniest of things. You know, sometimes people criticize people for praying about small things. God doesn't criticize you for that because his text says to cast all things on him from the smallest to the greatest. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares about you. He hears your prayer. That's what the psalmist says here. David says, oh, you who hear prayer. He says, to you shall all flesh come. See, he deserves praise from everyone. And everyone eventually will come to him if they haven't already. Maybe not in faith, but they will come to worship and to bow a knee. And he hears our prayers. That's part of his grace. We don't deserve him to hear us. That's what grace is, is when we get what we don't deserve. We get a God who listens to us, even in our sin. And not only that, but look at this. Look at verse three. When iniquities prevail against me, David writes, you atone for our transgressions. Now, this is one of only three Psalms that mention that word atone. And atone simply means that God makes right our sin before him. He forgives us. He, he, uh, he atones for it. He makes things right. He atones for my transgression, for your transgression, for our sin. It's a big fancy word for sin. He makes it right. Uh, you know, in Ephesians chapter 2, are you familiar with the book of Ephesians? Uh, you might jot that down uh, if it's not on there already. And I'm going to turn there just briefly. But in, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He goes, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind, just like everyone else. We were all dead in our sin. We were all deserving of his wrath. And then verse four, like the first two words of verse four in chapter two of Ephesians are two of the best words in the Bible. God, <laughs> but God. 
So this is who you were. And, and David kind of writes that in this psalm, right? He says, uh, when, when, my, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone. When I was dead in my sin, uh, I deserved your wrath, but God. But God, verse four of Ephesians two, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. See, this too is God's grace. He atones for our sin. He makes us new. He, he pays the penalty for us. That's what Jesus does on the cross. Friends, this is, this is the gospel. He makes it right. And every good thing we read about here in the rest of this psalm ultimately comes back to and is rooted in, in what Jesus does for us on the cross and making things right. Now, are there implications of the gospel that go much farther than just that? Absolutely. But without that, it's not the gospel. Apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sin, that's the heart of it. He atones for my sin. Isn't that good news? See, uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah experienced it in Isaiah 6. He, he saw Jesus on his throne. In verse 7, uh, the, the, the angel, the, the cherubim comes to him with a, with a burning coal, touches his lips and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Isaiah didn't do anything. God did it all. Friends, for you to be made right with God, you don't have to do anything. Like you don't have to get your life together first. You come to him as you are, and then slowly by his grace, he makes you new. You can't, some of you guys are fishermen, right? You can't clean your fish before you catch them. You gotta come to Jesus and he makes you new. He makes you clean. He does it. He atones. That's what David says here. When, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. In his grace, he hears our prayers. He atones for sin. He brings us near. Look at verse four. Blessed, David writes, is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. The one you choose, John, John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. In Romans 5, 8, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it says right before that, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago too, that uh, Paul goes, you know, sometimes somebody would die for a good man, but for somebody who's a sinner and really messed up, even for you, while you were his enemy, Jesus died for you. Isn't that great news? See, and he, he chose us. He brought us near while we were far off. And blessed is the one, David writes, who you choose, Lord, and bring near to dwell. What for? To dwell in your courts. He says, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Friends, to be brought near is, is where satisfaction in life is. It's, it's near to God, your creator. It's only found in Jesus and it will be ultimate. You shall be satisfied. Even if in this life right now, things are rotten and they're hard. It, it, in the end, he promises there will be good for you everlasting and eternal. You shall be satisfied in his house and the holiness of his temple. Paul says, and I don't, maybe you're like me and in your sinfulness, you think about some of those things and you go, I don't know, will it really be that great? I don't know, will it really? Paul says that, listen, 
he kind of says this, here's my paraphrase. Just think about the greatest thing in the world in your life that you could possibly ever imagine. It's nowhere close to what God has prepared for us, for those who know him. Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the great things that God has, has, has in store for those who love him, who've trusted Jesus. It will be good, even if it's incredibly awful right now. It will. But, uh, David says, blessed is the one you choose and bring near. You, we shall be satisfied, Lord. It's a statement of faith with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Verse five, by awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. See, not only does God hear our prayers, look, he answers. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. He answers our sin with his goodness and his righteousness. Oh God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. In other words, he's everyone's hope. The hope of all the ends of the earth, the farthest seas. That, that, that includes kind of like everything, doesn't it? It totally does. He's the hope of the world. He, he's our only hope. In, in fact, uh, Psalm 71, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord, you, you're my hope from my youth. He answers our prayers. He's our hope. And, and in Colossians 1, Paul says, uh, God chose to make uh, known among people the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. He is the hope of glory. He's our hope, the hope of all the ends of the earth. Is your hope in Jesus? Listen, Jesus deserves praise for his grace because he hears our prayers. He, he atones for our sin. He makes us new. He, he, uh, he brings us near and he's our hope. But he's not just to be praised for his grace. And uh, part of what his grace is one of his awesome deeds. He's to be praised for his mighty and awesome deeds. Have you ever taken time just to stop and think a little bit about all the good things and incredible, awesome, amazing things that Jesus does and has done and will do? When you take your eyes off of yourself, let me, when I take my eyes off of myself and I look at these things and look at what Jesus has done, suddenly it's kind of like that old hymn, right? And the cares of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When I turn my eyes on him. So let's, let's do that now. That's what the psalmist does. Look, uh, his awesome deeds. Well, one of them is creation. Look at verse six. Because Lord, you're the one who by, by your strength established the mountains. You ever considered how big a mountain is? Any of you who have little boys, you've probably watched like some of the big like uh, dump truck, digger, bulldozer shows on Netflix or on TV. You ever seen any of those? And some of like the, the, the biggest dump trucks like would, would make uh, my truck look like a little Hot Wheel next to it. And that thing has no hope of ever tearing down and moving an entire mountain. I mean, it would take forever. Yet God in his greatness created all things. He established the mountains. Like how did it get there? I don't know. Just I went boom. No, no, God spoke and it was there, right? He established the mountains being girded with might. In other words, like, like you and I get up and we put on our clothes, God just puts on strength. It's just this image of him. That's just who he is. That's what he looks like. That's what he does. He girds himself with might, David writes. 
who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. It's hard for me not to recall Mark chapter four when I read that, who stills the seas. You know, Mark chapter four, the end of chapter four is when uh, Jesus is crossing the Lake of Galilee and uh, he's in the boat and uh, all of a sudden big storm comes up and, and Jesus uh, wakes, they wake him up and they're like, hey, we're gonna drown here. And he gets up and he's just, what's he say? Be still. And what happens? Like, I'd love to see that. Like see the video of that, right? And just all of a sudden water just drops. And then the boats are just kind of slowly rocking and everybody's just like, what just happened? And in fact, that's exactly it because it says at the end of that, that the disciples who are on the boat go, who then is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. I'll tell you who he is. He's the one who, who stills the roaring seas. He's the one who created them. He stills the roaring of their waves and not just the roaring of the waves uh, physically, but even uh, in terms of a metaphor, the tumult of all the peoples. Do you have some roaring waves in your heart right now, in your life? Listen, Jesus can speak peace to those things. He says, my peace I give to you, not like the world gives peace, but I give peace like, like, like you, you would never otherwise know. I give life and I give it abundantly. He, he, he stills not just the roaring waves, but the tumult of the peoples. He brings peace eventually to the world, but also I believe to our hearts. Well, why does he do that? Verse eight, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. So that, why? Because praise is due him so that he would get praise so that we turn our eyes to him. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Now, a couple options on that, that end of that verse that could mean you make the going out of the morning and the evening. In other words, again, the ends of the earth, both, both ends of the spectrum from where the sun rises to where it sets, there's joy. But it also, I think, is a picture of just God's creation and the beauty with which, ever seen a beautiful sunrise? And there's, there's even in the, I mean, there's just like peace and joy in that, right? Or a beautiful sunset. He makes those things to happen and to shout for joy. He's to be praised for his awesome deeds in creation but he also gives peace and joy. Look at verse nine. Uh, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you've prepared it. We're gonna come back to that verse here in a moment, but look at verse 10 now. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You talk about furrows and ridges this week? I didn't either. But it's in the text here. What does that mean? Some of you know. Some of you may not, though, at first glance. Well, the furrows and the ridges is this idea that God works the ground, right? He has to work the ground in order for seed to be planted. This is a, this is a psalm sung at the harvest. So God, he provided all the seed in the beginning, and then there were furrows and ridges from the plowing up of the ground. And he plants the seed, and then what does he do? He settles its ridges. He brings soft rain that makes it smooth. 
we get a picture here of just God's grace and goodness, but I don't think it's lost. Uh, it should be lost on us that David was a guy who, who went through plenty of hardship, right? He made some really stupid choices that he himself would admit to in terms of sin before God. He suffered great consequences of that, having a son who totally rebelled against him. If there was anybody who knew about like furrows and ridges in his life and just bumpy ground where his life just got totally turned up and plowed through, David was one of those guys. And he goes, but God, you, you, the, the water in your river is abundant. Your, your river is full and you bring water that, that settles the ridges. And your soft rain, your gentleness, your kindness smooths it all out. That's how God works, friends, is over, over time as we trust him. Um, maybe you've had your life worked over this year. 2019, you're just glad to see it in the rearview mirror. But maybe... Down the road, as you trust the Lord, you would look back in that review mirror and you'd say, you know what, that was incredibly hard, but, but look at how God's grace has worked in my life now. And while I never chose that, if it wasn't for that, praises due you, oh God. Ephesians 2, 14, he himself, Jesus himself is our peace. He's made us both one, us and God, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He himself is our peace. I already quoted this, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled or be afraid. John 16, 13. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. The ground's going to get plowed through. It's going to get turned up. There's going to be a lot of bumpy soil. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And in his goodness and kindness, he brings peace and joy. And in fact, as we keep reading, we see that all good things, in terms of his awesome deeds of creation, of bringing peace and joy, every good thing that we enjoy is from God. Look at verse nine again. You visit the earth, you water it, you greatly enrich it. You do, Lord. The river of God is full of water. He owns everything. All the resources are his. You provide their grain. In other words, it's all from God. You've prepared it. It's his plan. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, blessing its growth. And look at verse 11. As I was reading this earlier this week, this is why I landed on this Psalm for this morning. You crown the year with your bounty. It's a psalm of thanksgiving at the harvest, right? But, uh, but it's true that there's, there's a sense in which God crowns our year with his goodness and his bounty. It's God's bounty, you notice that, right? It, it, he's the one who blesses and gives us all good things to enjoy. Paul, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Now he says right before that, don't put your hope in these things, put your hope in the his bounty. It's his good things. But the psalmist makes a good point here. David makes a good point. It, it's all his. James wrote, Jesus' little brother said, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. 
You know, we talk about putting a bow on things, kind of wrapping up the year, closing out the year. Uh, The psalmist David here says, uh, God crowns the year with his bounty. It's his year. It's his gift, even the hardest of years, A.D. Do you know what A.D. means? Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. It's his. 2019 is his. And 2020 will be too. So I thought, though, as we close out the year, maybe it'd be good for us to think, how has God crowned our year with bounty, with his bounty, with his goodness? And I want to do this as a, as a church, as a whole. How did God bless us? But, and how was he good to us? But maybe it'll spur some thinking for you, yourself, in your own life. Uh, by the way, if you read the rest of verse 11, it says, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. When I was really little until uh, about kindergarten, my dad actually farmed. Then in the early 80s, I went bankrupt and uh, that was the end of that, but still grew up on the farm for a while till about third grade. And I can remember helping my uncle and some others and riding in like the big wagon full of grain. When it's really full, what happens is it bumps down the road. When it's full, like the grain just spills out over the edge, right? It's kind of the same, like the wagon tracks are full of your abundance. Like God is, is so good that, that even as they're leaving the field, the tracks are overflowing with abundance. It's just spilling out. And I think one of the fun things to do at the end of any year is just look back and see how has God been good? So uh, what I did this week is I asked Mandy, I said, hey, can you help, uh, help me find some stats from this year that maybe tell the story of how God has been good to us as a church family? So here's a handful of things, maybe things you may not otherwise even think about. Some are kind of fun. First off, uh, did you know in 2019, as a church, these are things God deserves praise for. Our our attendance has grown by about uh, 12% almost over last year, over 2018. And 2018 grew by about 14% over 2017. When you add all that up from 2017 to this time in 2019, uh, we've grown by uh, about 25, 26% as a church in terms of attendance. You're like, great, people are showing up. That's good news, right? People are getting connected, but are people meeting Jesus? Well, in 2019, 13 people were baptized here at Wawasee. Is that good news? Yeah, that's great news. Now, my hope is that number would would grow and become a higher percentage as we go into the future. A handful of people have trusted Christ just this fall. We've prayed with some of you. It's great news. Yeah, amen. Now here's just some fun stats. Over 6,000 cups of coffee and cappuccino were served in 2019. I want to say, yeah. <laughs> Keeping you awake. Over 1,900 snacks were served in Wawasee Kids to our kids. Uh, Anywhere from four to 500 diapers were changed in the nursery this year. We don't have an exact count, but we have a pretty good idea. Uh, Do you know on average uh, that since May, 27 of 30 days of the month, the facility is being used. There's small groups meeting, there's things happening here. That's good news, that's great. Uh, Our our student ministry, Impact and Salt Company, averages about 45 students each week. 
There's over 170 of you involved serving somewhere in our church, whether that's connections or locking up on facility or nursery or Wawasee kids or the worship team. And by the way, in all those areas, we're in need of more. So if you're interested, please let us know. On, on June 23rd of 2019, we dedicated uh, our new facility. We added on almost 2,500 square feet and renovated about 9,000. Now, um, I recognize that's a huge blessing with which, to which God deserves praise. It's not ultimate though. Jesus is ultimate, right? Keep our eyes on the giver, not the gift. But that's a great thing. And uh, one kind of interesting fact Mandy dug up thought this was fun. We started the year with 17 toilets and 10 sinks. We ended with 27 toilets and 17 sinks and two showers. <laughs> so kind of like, you know, you go from a two-door car to four, four doors, no waiting. There you go. We had a new storage out back. God's really blessed us materially this year. In fact, we borrowed less than two-thirds of what we anticipating having to borrow at the beginning of this project. And we anticipate we'll pay it off much sooner than we originally projected, all because of God's grace. And many other things we could list. I mean, a, a, a huge one is bringing Pastor Dave on staff and his family being here. We're grateful for him. And uh, yeah, just, just thrilled that you guys are here and thankful for you. Fun to see your whole family here today. That's cool too. I know that blesses your heart. But friends, every good gift, we could bless more. Every good gift is from the Lord. Would you agree? See, after God's blessing on the land and the ground and the crops in Psalm 65, the, David goes on and he writes this. He says, the pastures of the wilderness, they overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout for joy and sing together for joy. As a church, we have every reason to gird ourselves with joy, to shout and sing for joy. How about you personally? Let me just challenge you as you close out the year, you've got a few more days here. Maybe uh, you've got some extra time off. I don't know what your calendar looks like. Maybe not everyone does, but most of us probably do. As you close out 2019, maybe you take some time to evaluate this past year and then look forward. So let me recommend uh, just maybe a couple steps you can take. The first step you should take is to take time, sit down, turn off your phone, Get a pad of paper and just think through your year and start making a list of all the good things God has done in your life this year. Even in the hardest of years, there's good things. Just make a list. Turn your eyes on those things. Keep writing. When you get through with your list, keep going. Try to Get, get as big of a list of all the good, be specific, all the good things you can think of that God has done in your life this year. What are the things you feel gratitude for? What are the things that you accomplished this year that you're proudest of? And after you're done with that list, tear it off, set it aside, take a new sheet of paper. And step two, write a list of all the furrows and ridges from 2019. Where are the ways that God turned the soil? 
made some things hard. What are some themes that emerged in your life this year? What, what did you accomplish this year that went unnoticed? Don't harbor that in your heart. Write it down. Don't, don't become bitter. What was exceptionally hard this year, personally, professionally? What are your regrets from 2019? Write all those down. Just get them out on paper. And maybe you'll start to tie some of those back now because step three is to go back to your first list and begin praying through that, thanking God for all of those good things. And as you do that, you might draw some, uh, draw some conclusions and some connections between that list of how God turned over the ground and how he's maybe beginning to smooth it out by his grace. And after you pray through that, now go back to the hard list and pray through that and, and plead with God and say, God, I, I need you in these things. This is incredibly, incredibly hard. Will you please show up? Please help. But before you're done, go back again to the first list and thank him again for the good things he has done. Amen. I would just challenge you, take time to, to think through your year, to praise the Lord for what he's done, to ask him to do things he has yet to do that you need, that you desire, and then thank him again and trust him for 2020. Maybe you would even, if you work through the kind of food for thought section this week, there's some ideas for you to maybe even start thinking through what are some spiritual goals for the year that I would trust God for in 2020 that I'm longing for him to do in my life. Let me pray. We're going to sing. We'll call it a morning. We'll call it a year. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the ways that you're gracious to us. Um, Lord, because of those ways, uh, your, your grace and your awesome deeds, you're worthy and you deserve praise. So this morning, even as we close, we just take time to thank you and to praise you for the good things that you've done in our lives. But we also uh, look back, Lord, and we see things, none of which takes you by surprise, all of which you know, that were exceptionally hard, that are maybe even hard still today, where the ground's been turned up and worked over, and we're in need of, of your grace again to come and water us and to make us make things uh, smooth and to water the seed so that it would grow and flourish. And so, Lord, we bring all of those things to you too today. And as we close this morning, Lord, we sing to you that you uh, would receive uh, much glory, much praise, because it is due to you. But would you remind us of all of those good things that we could trust you then for your goodness in the future? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.